Welcome to the recitation. I'm delighted to have uh, Tomas Diaz. Um, he, I think, was part of the first Fab Academy cycle. The zero Fab Academy cycle. Cycle zero when we were just figuring out how to do it. And after many steps is leading the Fab City initiative, which in some ways is the fulfillment of everything Fab Labs have been leading up to. So, Tomas. Thank you, Neil. And yeah, it's, it's really nice to be sharing some of the work that we have been doing from Barcelona for the last uh, almost 11 years. It was in March 2007 when Fabla Barcelona opened. And um, just in 2008, uh, I was part of uh, a remote group of students uh, following the How to Make Almost Anything class as the prototyping year of the Fab Academy, or what it would become the, the Fab Academy the year after. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm an urban designer, so I did my studies in Venezuela. Uh, and, you know, in, in, in university, they, they taught us how to look at cities from, from the top. Uh, and one of the things that triggered me when I first get in touch uh, with digital fabrication and Neil's book was the idea of transforming cities from the ground up. And one of the the ways uh, I understood that could be possible is to change the whole production of how cities uh, produce and consume things, basically. And that possibility struck me and actually um, somehow kept me obsessed. And I was lucky enough to work so with someone like Vicente Guayard here in Barcelona uh, in order to start to build that uh, vision together with a, a global team as well. And that is what the Fab City is trying to do. Is trying to scale up the impact of Fab Labs and in order to transform how we produce and consume in cities. But I wanted to start uh, to think, thinking about, you know, the, um, in a more philosophical way on what it means for us as a, as a network, not only of makers, but actually of designers. And I think this is important to reflect because um, also I was, I was surprised, I have to say, Neil, with the with the, uh, the title of your book, which, which is, which I was fascinated by the title, Designing Reality, in a way that, uh, you know, it really resumes the idea of if you can make anything, then, then basically you can design anything as well. And we should be very careful with that because designing and making it uh, involves a lot of responsibility uh, in, in order to create the world that, that we want. But um, I have to say also that uh, design is not uh, as it used to be, in which you know you you would create something in order for someone else to make it, to distribute it in the world, and then for someone else to consume it um, without taking in consideration any consequences, and also thinking sometimes only in the aesthetics and the function. But uh, today we have a different reality, which have seen that we have designed um, uh, systems that actually are making us to be victims or uh, our own traps, no? Um, we are depending on uh, raw materials that actually are compromising. Uh, ecosystems are compromising how uh, we're going to inhabit in this planet in the, in the future, and also is compromising socially our relationships, as you can imagine. You know, we are very lucky to pay very cheap electronics, but actually they are based on uh, high social consequences in the other side of the world. In the meantime, we keep thinking on, you know, the way we create cities and the way we create things are going to be like that uh, forever, no? Um, but as I said before, we are embedded in, a, in our own trap. And even our food systems and the way we are sustaining life in cities are actually compromising, uh, uh, again, other countries, societies that uh, most of the times we don't see, no? And in the meantime, the power structures keep somehow 
trying to keep business as usual uh, and trying to maintain a yet obsolete uh, socioeconomical system that we are seeing collapse again and again and again. No? And in the meantime, uh, we have people launching cars into the space thinking that they're going to be our saviors because they're going to send us to another planet, which probably we're going to destroy again, uh, as we, be, we are doing with this one. So um, then there comes the promise of makers or, or you know, people uh, that are super empowered with a lot of skills, with the capacity of change, everything. But uh, the question is, uh, are we really ready to do that? And how we're going to do this uh, uh, in order to somehow accomplish the dreams of uh, personal fabrication and fab labs. So this is where, uh, you know, this notion of uh, designing a different future or an emerging future or different emerging futures is um, something that we are putting on top of the table. And, and it's, again, as I said, it's a philosophical reflection, but actually something that we have been putting in practice in our fab lab. As I said before, it's a fab lab that uh, is kind of, one of the oldest of the network. Uh, I think there were around 10 fab labs in 2007 and now 1,300. Um, we have managed to go from a you know, 100 square meter lab to 1,000 square meter labs and contribute and, 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 and collaborate with large companies and organizations. Uh, thanks to our multi-scalar approach, we don't only think about the lab and the machines that we have inside our room, but actually with, we are trying to force ways in which we can connect better to our neighborhood, also with our city, and of course with the Global Fab Lab Network. Um, we have been, as you know, part of a coordination of, uh, of, of the Fab Academies for many years, and also putting agendas that uh, are going beyond our own lab um, at many levels. But if you Google Fabla Barcelona, this is what you will find. And, you know, you will see prototypes, a lot of them related with architecture, robots, restaurants that we have made in our lab, and a lot of educational activities. We are part of the Institute for Advanced Architecture of Catalonia, um, where a lot of students of architecture and design come and they basically learn, uh, you know, architecture practice from a different perspective, thinking in multiscalar ways and also from a very uh, experimental approach. Um, we have a green fab lab uh, also, which is uh, a 150 hectare uh, experimental campus that we have at 20 minutes from the center of Barcelona, where we have a fab lab in-house that is thinking about the future of self-sufficiency and, and trying to build a demonstrator on site. Um, I was part also, I wanted to mention this, of a, of a first fab lab at Burning Man Festival. Uh, together with Amy and Kenny, we drove uh, across the U.S. with a fab lab in a trailer. And it was actually, uh, I think, one of the first mobile fab labs. The first one was in Costa Rica, uh, but this one also one of the first ones. And that was going across the U.S., spreading the knowledge of digital fabrication. It was a funny experience to be a burning man with funny machines. So some of the projects that we have done in Barcelona go from a 300 square, uh, interact, uh, square meter interactive installation for the Venice Biennale in 2008 in collaboration also with CBA. Uh, as well as the uh, Fab Lab House, the first uh, self-sufficient house made in Barcelona. Uh, we lost the competition. We won the uh, People's Choice Award uh, thanks to the unique design and also because we had a very intense social activity program in the house of drinking wine and eating some uh, jamón serrano. We organized the 10th International Fab Lab Conference in Barcelona. We are making open source restaurants like the Leca restaurant, which you can download both the menu and the furniture, and it's just two blocks from the from the Fab Lab. Uh, some of you have been there. Um, 
this is uh, another project that we have done with the, our uh, research and architecture group uh, 3D printing the first uh, bridge, a pedestrian bridge in the world, the first 3D printed, 3D printed bridge in the world. These are large scale 3D printer, 3D printing experiments also from an architecture research department um, doing a six meter by three meter uh, wall made out of materials, made out of materials that you can actually recycle and reuse and reinsert in the machines. Um, this is the Fab Textiles uh, research stream, as, as you know, is uh, part of a textile academy and is led by, by Anastasia here from Barcelona as well. So we experiment, as you have seen, from the scale of the body and the little small things to the big one of architecture and also thinking in cities. No? So I want to very quick touch on the educational programs because we are playing with designers and architects and they are learning the how to make things in, embedded in, the, in every uh, aspect of their research projects, including uh, learning synthetic biology. And as you, this is the Green Fab Lab where we also host the Bio Academy, part of Academy. And then this uh, something I have to make very quick publicity before I jumped to the, to the core Fab City part is that actually we are launching this new master in design for emerging futures, which actually takes somehow the learning outcomes of a, of a fab lab during the last 10 years and turn it into a more a deeper uh, research and also take somehow this uh, methodology of understanding our context and designing for today, but also thinking about the effects that we want to have for tomorrow. So this is a master that uh, is about place making in place, uh, in making place in design for the real world problems, uh, you know, inspired by it. Uh, projects like the precious plastic machines, also prototyping and testing in cities, um, also making meaningful design, again, and referencing again to the precious plastic project, one of our, the projects that we are fans of, is thinking about not just making beautiful things, but things that are actually try to solve the world's uh, wicked, wicked problems. Um, and this project is a beautiful example of that. Also thinking about having a strategic vision and not only uh, intervening at the product scale, but also thinking about how products are inserted and products and projects and interventions are inserted into um, and, uh, into a larger um, scale um, context. And then basically also one of the things for consideration, and, and, and this is uh, for me a critical issue right now in the, in the Fab Labs in the world, is, is, is thinking about, try, trying to have an assistance thinking approach. And um, I think we, we have a challenge in order to think, you know, the amount of energy, resources, type of materials, how we recycle, how we put materials back into, into production inside the network. Um, I, I hear something, is that okay? I have a background noise. Okay. Um, and of course, with- Go on, that's on your side, not here, not in the continent. Okay. So, with a, and of course, with a global mindset, and part of that is our connection with the, as I said, our approach to the FabLab network and how we are trying to think not only about what we do in Barcelona, but all the time thinking about how it connects with the rest of the world. So, uh, this is this ends my publicity time of the master. It's uh, something that, uh, master that I am directing uh, together with Mara Balestrini and Oscar Tomiko, and I think it's, it's a master that is including also the Fab Academy. So, this is I think why it's so relevant for for this. Um, for this audience. So Sorry, out of all of these. You should also mention the emerging uh, thesis. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's something that uh, the Fab Academy thesis, which has become somehow the uh, acceleration program, I wanted, I wanted to keep it a little bit of a surprise, but uh, it's true. 
that uh, is going on. We have uh, right now four participating uh, uh, projects. Um, one from Barcelona is the Ecotron by Esteban. And uh, then we have in, in Lima the Cocoa production machine by Jose Lazarte. We have Roberto Gallo from Ecuador uh, developing the bits and atoms pen. And then we have Jari from uh, Finland developing a, a, a new, uh, I would say, automated machine for circuit production. So this is going, and the aim for this is the projects to uh, keep developing their goals inside Fab Labs and turn the Fab Lab network into a global accelerator uh, to take products to the market. Um, so um, then finishing the publicity, the publicity time, <laughs> Now uh, I wanted to jump uh, to the Fab City and what we are doing, which uh, which I say is actually trying to probably solve one of the probably the, the most wicked problem of our times and how we change the production and consumption system that we have created during the last 150 years, and, and using the new reality of digital fabrication, we can transform our cities. So uh, we start, as I said, the, the change of paradigm of, of production and consumption. We can understand it by this graph uh, that actually is inspired by something that came out of a discussion with Neil and the mayor of Barcelona and, and Vicente is actually how we can trans how we can basically name the way things work today and how we want them to work. So this is a very uh, um, uh, it comes like a, this really interesting acronym of how we move from the PITO model to a DITO model. The PITO stands for uh, product in trash out meaning that cities import products and produce trash uh, in a linear model. And DIO stands for data in, data out, meaning that we are now equipping cities with everything they need to produce, everything to consume in terms of energy, products, and food. And the only thing that travels around the world is data and information. So we're talking about a locally productive cities, but actually that are globally connected. And this involves, uh, um, you know, a very, uh, I would say a strategic approach in terms of what the city needs to produce and consume. We're, we're, all, we're rescaling manufacturing, but also we are rescaling farming. We are rescaling also the way we produce energy. Um, and this approach is multiscalar and complementary. It's very difficult producing something in China and ship it around the world to actually think about how a product has different parts that are produced locally, but others can be still produced industrially. So this is like, like a combined process. Yes. Do you have control over the background noise? There's somebody talking that's interfering. It's not, no, it's, it's, not, it's, not in my, it's not in my lab. My lab is really quiet. Oh, wow, because the blue jeans doesn't show any of the sound. I'm going to mute now. Okay. Here, I'm going to, Tomas, I'm going to do a mute all and you unmute. Okay, I'm back again. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. It wasn't you. It was somebody sub-threshold to get focus, but was still putting in some noise. I don't know who that I was. See. Okay, good. Okay, Much okay. Better. Cool. Yeah, it feels better for me, too. So, yes, yeah, so, as I was saying, this involves a, a new approach. And, and, and I think that this is also a discussion that we need to keep in mind. It's like a, the Fab City is not aiming to Fab Labs, uh, to see Fab Labs replacing industry, but actually being a fundamental part of that transformation. 
So uh, we imagine that all these 1,300 fab labs in the world that are now located in cities and they are duplicating every 24 months, um, they become like Trojan horses for the transformation of a new uh, production paradigm. And more importantly, they become, um, it's, it's true that we are you know, pretty much focused on technology, but we are, think, we are basically, this, our discussion is around the cultural role of technology in society. And I think this is important to consider as well, and not only having a technical revolution, but we are talking about a cultural revolution around production and consumption when, when it comes to, to the role of Fab Labs and the whole Fab City project. So then it's, it's interesting to see, you know, the, the, in, the, in the industrial paradigm, uh, a normal product designer will think about creating something that will be reproduced uh, thousands of times uh, in the other side of the world and distributed using shipping containers and then placed in stores. And then these stores will have to deal with uh, um, advertisement, uh, advertisement and, uh, agencies in order to make people that uh, they think they need those things. And this is something that uh, a former MIT professor who unfortunately passed away some years ago, Victor Papanek, uh, was uh, reflecting his, in his book, uh, Design for the Real World. And it was uh, really interesting because of the very first part of the, of the book actually is trying to explain to you how, uh, or at least from the perspective of, of, of Victor Papanek, uh, how uh, industrial design was one of the most dangerous professions in the world. Because by selecting the type of materials, the culture behind the products and the way um, designers were working with industry and advertisement agencies, they were compromising the future of this planet. And that was in the 70s. And what we're seeing today is actually the result of that. We see how uh, you know, the fashion industry is actually polluting water and, um, and also compromising um, you know, social um, balance in countries like Bangladesh or in some Asian countries. We see how different industries uh, are relying on very low wages paid uh, somewhere else and sit in countries that are controlled under authoritarian regimes. Uh, we're seeing how it's fundamental to keep really low oil prices, and this is how we're seeing all the conflicts that we have in the world based on the control of that oil. And this is only because we want to transport things cheaply and because we want to keep running an economic model that is no longer viable. So this, in opposition to this, and instead of going to, you know, just protesting, uh, something that we're saying is like, we need to go from protest to uh, proposals and then from proposals to prototypes. It's not just not, uh, you know, it's not just raising our voices. It's only not only about having great ideas, but also engaging of making happen those, those ideas. No, and one alternative that we see to design is actually very important um, to test is uh, the open source design, but also enabled to a whole, um, uh, you know, system in which we can actually redistribute the value of design and those things distributed in the world for the people that has been involved in their development. And this is something I will go back later on. But uh, again, in this, uh, in this paradigm that we're saying, which is more circular, citizens are not only consumers, but they can be contributors and producers of their designs. Things are not only gonna be, gonna be made in, in countries with really low uh, wages, but actually they can be made locally using smart factories or, or fab labs or maker spaces. We also can see that how these uh, products not only use uh, materials that are extracted from, uh, from the nature, but actually they can actually uh, 
source materials from our waste and reinsert them into the production line. So this is the kind of things that we're trying to envision, but also to build, which is a big, big, big challenge inside the fab city. And as I said before, one of, uh, uh, one of the most, uh, I would say, the, the, the big changes or the, or the big steps that we took is uh, a year ago when we actually did uh, this uh, project with IKEA, which was the Made Again um, project, we were able to identify um, not only uh, in Barcelona, uh, this notion of a Fab City prototype. So we basically took IKEA designers and made them work um, in the city and trying to identify which are the material sources that they could find in a neighborhood scale inside the Poblenou in Barcelona, a formerly industrial area, and then how they can redesign products that will enter under the IKEA paradigm using that waste. And it was very funny because then we had, we had the IKEA designers picking them up uh, furniture that they designed it to last uh, months, let's say, and then realizing that that was a big problem that they were putting in, in cities. So out of that experiment, uh, we are actually looking uh, together with IKEA and could continue developing this approach of a Fab City prototype. And it's something that actually we are uh, turning into a, a longer research project, starting with some contributions from the IKEA team and the Space Tent team in the master and the newly master that we have you, we just have launched. And this is the main again challenge, which actually you can find um, online uh, in detail. If you go to YouTube, you can find the uh, complete uh, documentary. So this leads to to what you know all this look. How do you make all this a global effort? No? And um, and basically, you know, going from the neighborhood scale, we imagine, you know, hundreds of neighborhoods in uh, around the world, and and also probably dozens of cities being articulated into this global initiative. We started somehow as a provocation uh, some years ago, when in uh, the uh, it was the seventh FabLab conference in Lima, the recently. Uh, elected uh, deputy mayor of Barcelona, Tony Vives, uh, presented this idea of turning Barcelona into a fab city and using fab labs as the main, let's say, uh, as the avant-garde, uh, I would say, um, army to make this happen. You know? And also to launching an, uh, a new idea that actually Barcelona could have, as it has libraries, it could have fab labs that could serve as a new uh, public service for citizens to learn how to make almost anything. So it, was, uh, it went from a provocation to actually to a reality. Right now, there are three public fab labs that are part of a new public service offered by, by cities. Uh, in this case, uh, in Barcelona, these three labs operate in different realities. One is the neighborhood of Ciudad Meridiana, uh, which is actually one of the most deprived neighborhoods uh, in, in Barcelona, with a lot of unemployment and uh, school abandon uh, uh, cases. Also, uh, another fab lab, which is located in Las Cortes, uh, which is probably one of the most, uh, I would say, healthy uh, neighborhoods in Barcelona. Uh, uh, just recently, two weeks ago, this fab lab has been embedded completely into a new library. So the libraries of Barcelona are including now fab labs. Um, and then the third one is located in the, in the uh, neighborhood of La Barceloneta, near to the beach. And it's connected to uh, a place called La Fabrica del Sol, which is a sustainability and green energy center. And the Fab Lab actually is open and offering 
free services for citizens to learn about uh, digital fabrication. Um, there are the, the, one of the things that happened, which is kind of miraculous, is that um, Tony Vives, uh, who was part of a, a let's say, um, um, kind of a, a little bit, a little bit conservative or right progressist party, uh, um, actually proposed this crazy idea uh, together with the support of, of us from the Fabla Barcelona and to the, from the support from MIT and from Neil. But then uh, in 2014, 2015. Uh, a new uh, major came in, which uh, was Ada Colau. And Ada Colau is the opposite direction, uh, of, uh, politically speaking. And what has been really beautiful is to uh, keep the project going beyond that political uh, parties and the political signs. And right now there are two new Fab Labs, part of this public network, uh, going to be open this uh, this year. One is in, uh, in, in Gracia, uh, which is also a kind of a healthy uh, neighborhood in, in Barcelona. And another one opened in this same neighborhood, Ciudad Meridiana, as uh, one of the first ones. So uh, this makes me jump to uh, 2014. Uh, actually, this was one year before uh, uh, major trias stopped being uh, the mayor of Barcelona and Ada Colau uh, the year after became the new mayor. But we managed uh, during the Fab 10 conference uh, to make major trias to press a button that will start a countdown uh, of 40 years from 2014 to 2054 um, that uh, actually was challenging cities to produce everything they consume uh, in, those for, in those 40 years. And there was a provocation that we thought, you know, uh, it was crazy enough uh, to make some people think because it's an achievable goal, but at the same time it's really far away. So what happened is like, a, this is a screenshot from today. We have 36 years, 145 days uh, to go uh, to that goal. But what happened is actually that this started to spread around the world, uh, something that we didn't anticipate it completely. Um, you know, a year after uh, the team in Amsterdam uh, organized the Fab City Campus under the presidency of the, um, of the Netherlands, of Europe, and this is, was basically a four-month demonstrator in 80,000 square meters in Java Island, in the, almost in the very center of, of Amsterdam, where there were demonstrators of self-sufficient housing, plastic recycling, urban farming, uh, metal 3D printers, uh, makerspace, fab labs, uh, and a lot of events, uh, including the first Fab City Summit that took place during those four months uh, in Amsterdam. Um, a year after, we, we actually organized uh, the Fab City Summit in Copenhagen. Uh, that was last September, when it was like a smaller, a smaller event, but actually kept going a group of people, which is now around between 40 and 50 people from different, institu from different institutions uh, connected to Fab Labs, uh, but also not connected to Fab Labs, that they are completely engaged with this, uh, with this idea of transforming cities from the ground up. And then this leads to what's going to be uh, the Fab City Summit in Paris, uh, which I'm going to keep it a little bit as a, as a surprise that you're going to receive uh, sometime soon. But it's a major effort uh, together with the, uh, all the Fab uh, 14 team in order to be a fundamental part for the first time of the International Fab Lab Conference. As you know, the Fab Lab Conference is going to happen in Toulouse. It's the core Fab Lab Conference. But uh, for the first time, we're having like a nationwide event which includes a Fab City concentrated event in Paris, a distributed event in the rest of the country, in France, uh, the weekend before, 
And then the Fab 14, uh, in more uh, like uh, what you are used to be, the, the, what they're used to see at the Fab Lab conference uh, that week after. So this is what it looks today. Uh, what happens is in every Fab City conference, in every Fab Lab conference, sorry, we have new cities joining the Fab City. And this is why it's so important. Because, uh, as I said, what was a provocation from Barcelona actually made other cities like Boston, Somerville, Cambridge, Shakur Hulen in South Africa, uh, the, uh, the Kingdom of Bhutan, the pa Paris itself, or cities like Detroit or Curitiba, which are like a symbols of, uh, in one hand, Detroit of industrialization, and in the other hand, Curitiba on sustainability, being part of this massive effort uh, to basically roll out uh, one of a, a global collaboration that uh, has a lot, a lot of complexities, um, I can tell you from the first hand. So the thing is like, um, what we want to do is um, take a prototyping approach. We have so many, uh, so many initiatives, you know, like uh, the C40 and, uh, you know, 100 resilient cities and so many cities that are just about lobbying but pretty, much, pretty little, uh, really little about prototyping, that we want to be that initiative that brings uh, the idea of experimentation and actually the hands-on experience that we have in the Fab Lab, but to the neighborhood scale, in order to see what, could, what cities could be in the future. And this involves, you know, building, uh, you know, alternative Wi-Fi networks, uh, establishing uh, or, or, or uh, alternative ways of producing energy using waste at the local scale, and so on and so on and so on. So we also think about uh, that one of the key um, roles of the Fab Labs, again, is not just being the technical support or the technology backbone, but actually being the community connectors. And, and Fab Labs could be actually thought at those uh, places that, uh, you know, embed inside the cities uh, this new paradigm. And it's not, it's not only where you can hear about it, but actually where you can experience about this and, and, and prototype with the neighborhood. As we are doing in, in Barcelona, but also the guys in Paris are doing it, that this thing is happening in, in Santiago and in other cities in the world. What I was saying before also is that um, we, we need a new approach to design and to, to making, no? and then we're gonna see like a, a complete new set of skills are gonna be needed in order to run this new model of cities where, you know, this paradigm of, of you study something, you get a diploma, and then you work for the, the same thing for the rest of your life actually gets obsolete, but actually you need to learn how to learn. And I think that's one of the things, the key, the key things about the FAB Academy, one of the key aspects about the FAB Academy in comparison with anything else. It's like a, you are challenged to learn, and in some cases you are challenged to unlearn things that you come that you bring from, from a previous formal education. And then also the services. This is the background image. It's a, it's a photo of this public fab lab um, in, in Las Cortes here in Barcelona, which actually is gonna, is gonna need to reinvent you know, how those services are, are actually operated. In Barcelona, we had the problem that uh, when the new fab labs were opened, there was the need of the city council to insert them into the bureaucratic machine of the city. And we were all the time fighting uh, with the council uh, and because we actually were defending the idea that this new service could work and also could be the way in which you can hack the bureaucracy. We are, you know, a little bit there. We cannot say that we have been completely successful, but 
it's not, it's, it's, uh, I have to say it's a reality that these, um, these new labs, the public fab labs are challenging very much the typical bureaucracy of, of the city council. So other thing that is, um, is fundamental is, is, is enable these open source ecosystems. No? And uh, we have been doing this effort on trying, for instance, to turn FabLabs IO platform into something more usable for designers to share all their creations around the world. But also we are looking into ways in which uh, this open source um, ecosystem can operate under uh, a new economic logics. And, 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 and that's really challenging. Uh, and I put the, the, the question of the blockchain. We don't know if that's going to be the way. But uh, we want to try ways in which value inside the FabLab network can be distributed um, using different data platforms. This is a massive effort that we are starting to do, we are starting to do and actually, actually to connect uh, very closely uh, with, a, with a global team, including Fiore, including uh, uh, all the people that actually is trying to create a platform for the FabLab network that works not only to share, but also to enable a new economy. And I think that's where um, experiments are, again, with the blockchain and similar technologies of distributed ledgers could be super interesting. So uh, I wanted to finish uh, uh, saying that this is an effort that I am representing, but the truth is like a um, in all these cities, there are people dedicating time and, and, and also efforts of making this happen. And the team in Paris, the teams uh, also in Montreal, the teams in the Copenhagen in Denmark, teams in Berlin, and plus the ones that are actually in the list of, uh, of the FAB cities are, are, are really dedicating and, and willing to make this happen. And right now we are uh, actually in the second application for a funding opportunity in the European Union that we didn't got in the first place, but we hope to get uh, an initial funding that uh, will support the experimentation in many cities in Europe. And I can also pre-announce that uh, we are uh, creating the Fab City Foundation. Um, it's going to be officially announced during the Fab City Summit in Paris, and that uh, that foundation is going to help, uh, you know, to somehow to consolidate this, these efforts and, and, and formalize them in order to uh, keep doing it for the next 36 years, as I said. So I think that's, uh, that's it. If you want to know more, here, is some, here are some uh, links and, and Twitter handles, and I will be happy to open for, for comments uh, and questions from the network. Tomas, let me start with um, a comment and two questions. The, the comment is what I've learned so far from the project is cities don't know how to measure their progress. The countdown is clear, but the measurement isn't clear. Cities don't know what goes in and what goes out. So first question is sort of how to deal with measurement. Mm -hmm. um, actually, it's three questions. Um, second okay. question is I was really struck in Santiago when Yogesh, talking about Vigyo and Ashram, talked about how they're reversing urbanizations and things are better in the village. And so question number two is, how do fab villages relate to fab cities? Okay. And then question number okay. three is, the most important part, I think, of the last hour was when you said, and so on, meaning enumerating what you can actually make. The most common question I get about the Fab City project is, give me examples. 
so, what can you do today? What can't you do? What can you do in the future? So, okay, with the, so the three questions are measurement villages and what can you do? Yeah, I'm gonna give you an example, and I saved that ex example for for. It seems like we prepared this, but we didn't. So I can give you an example of a project that uh, uh, I think it has all the components of of what is a fab city, and and this is about a little bit about self promotion, but it's a project that we started here in the fab lab, and it's the smart citizen project, and it's going from uh, you know a bunch of cables with Arduinos connected in a lot in some shields to create an open source platform for citizens to produce data about their own city and um, make available an open API for third parties to develop applications on top of it. This example uh, is, uh, is very, I, I think, unique because it's a project that has been crowdfunded twice. So we did a local crowdfunding and a global crowdfunding using Kickstarter. It's a project that also is funded under European Union funds. Um, these are the ones. It's a project where Cisco and Intel had put money um, uh, in order to do um, uh, demonstrators uh, in the Cisco Internet of Things World Forum in 2013, and also Intel was funding my uh, PhD, which I abandoned uh, because it was, uh, I think the academia was not, was not for me, but they put some money on developing uh, more ideas of open IoT for smart cities. So with this project, uh, again, that started with a bunch of cables, some Arduinos and some prototypes in the Fab Lab, has uh, turned into pilots across Europe under the Making Sense uh, project. And we aim actually to empower a whole uh, neighborhood, in this case concentrated in, in, in one public space, which is Plaza del Sol, that use the sensors to monitor the noise pollution in the plaza, which was produced by uh, drunk tourists mainly, and also by youth that were going to drink to the plaza, basically make the citizens to take back the ownership of that public space. So they basically uh, were able to demonstrate uh, with the sensor data to the city council that they needed to take action in order to recover the plaza. And that is now happening on the participatory uh, project, uh, participatory design process uh, that is going to aim to reformulate the whole Plaza del Sol just because a group of neighbors were coordinated using open source and accessible technologies in order to demonstrate that it's what an issue that needed to be tackled. So that's uh, an example. The other example, I think, is the one that I showed, and I, and I, I invite people to check the Made Again uh, challenge what, that we did with IKEA, which demonstrates how you can take a more experimental approach, how we do this. But actually, you know, you, can, you need to map your ecosystem, need to connect not only with the other fab labs that are in your neighborhood, but to connect with the carpenter, connect with the metal wood, uh, workshop, connect with the people that is having somehow a similar approach, and form a local consortium or a local team in your city in order to deploy and to make happen this type of experiments. The second question uh, related to the Fab Village, uh, the answer, uh, I would say that there is no answer yet to that. I would, I would say that I don't know yet. The second part of the question is like, I just had a talk with uh, uh, Jogesh two days ago, and we are starting by trying to see how we make it happen. So I would say that, uh, you know, and this is, I think, core part of a fab city. We might not have the answers, but we're ready to make them happen. And um, what we're working with Yogesh is actually establishing a whole uh, a strategy uh, that they have very clear on what Paval uh, is looking for in terms of self-sufficiency. 
and then working uh, in sub-projects. And right now we're gonna work with an Indian student that is in Germany, that is going to work in the water ecosystems in Paval, and then uh, we're going to implement this first prototype of a project during this year. And then the third question uh, uh, is the one in related to the measure progress. And this is part of a, this is an immense uh, F, uh, project, actually it's, it's huge, and it's part of the money that we're requesting for the European Union, which aims to develop a, a FAB City Index or a Resilient Index that will allow cities to measure what, uh, what they produce and what they consume. Um, I say this because, you know, we have done uh, a small prototype like this one in the dashboard, and, and what we learned is, um, as I said before, there's, you know, many, many, many platforms and projects that are measuring some things similar. Uh, there are very interesting examples, like the Atlas of Economic Complexity of uh, MIT, uh, but uh, there is, but it's only working uh, at the at the country scale. So what we're trying to do now is think about how we can develop this type of atlas, for instance. Of you know you can look at to a to a product and you can think look on how it works in terms of countries. But it's very difficult to to find that data in terms of cities. We are not only looking, uh, let's say, on how to visualize the data, but one of the critical things is like uh, cities don't have that department of data, and it's something that is starting to grow and grow. So through the, the I would say through the pressure like a project of a, like Fab City can do, we can see like a more um, cities can uh, think about uh, more about the um, the issues are, uh, of understanding which systems they depend upon. Let's say because in, in most of the cases, cities are just dependent completely on uh, the global uh, stability while they can solve the needs locally. So, so those, this is a to do. Those are great answers. Um, as we open up for questions, I want to make one note, which is people viewing might say, well, this sounds great, but um, that's Barcelona. Uh, it doesn't <laughs> apply where I am. Um, but under, uh, underneath what Tomas said is they took over the city. <laughs> rather than appealing to the city leadership, they became the city leadership. And that's hard. And it was a yeah. really big step not to fight against the city, but to become the city. So questions, comments? I think there was something in the chat. Let's see, in the chat, I think Lebanon wanted something. For some reason, I cannot see it. Uh, I cannot. Uh, Barry Tech Fab Lab says, can you send us a sample? Uh, um, Barry Tech, are you Hi. on? Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, uh, Tomas. This is Oscar from uh, from Lima. I'm... Hi. Hi. Yes. Hi. Um, I was wondering talking to us, but how do you struggle with trying to hack their business? With? Uh, my, my question was, how do you struggle with industries when you are trying to hack their business system? Yeah. Well, and somehow, uh, I have to say that, yeah. 
Yeah. So I think Oscar dropped out. Yeah. So your relationship to industry, big, small, old, new. Yeah, well, there are like different levels of complexity, you know, uh, which, again, uh, the, the right answer to do this is like a, there is no model. There is no Barcelona model that needs to be implemented all around the world. But I would say the first thing that you need to do is, is, is go and talk to them. And I'm, I'm saying that the, the different levels of complexity. One is um, the you know, when you connect to your local industry, let's say SMEs, low-scale low production, they are used to processes that they want to make the minimum effort and whatever, whenever you try to bring a new product that goes out of their standards, then uh, they run away, let's say. This is something that I recommend looking at uh, a project called MakeWorks, which we are collaborating with, which uh, has not easy solution, but they have been looking at that in uh, Scotland. MakeWorks is mapping uh, local manufacturers and in local suppliers and connect them to uh, emerging industries, let's say. So imagine that you have uh, someone that designs a really cool garment in a fab lab and they want to jump into industry. Most of the times it's really difficult to connect with the local industry and it's, and it's even easier to go and manufacture in China. For instance, that was our case with the Smart Citizen project. So the MakeWorks approach and something that we are trying to connect with the, smart, the, the Fab City is to connect with local manufacturers. And this is part of this uh, strategy that I was telling you, which is here, is to think about a multiscalar manufacturing ecosystem. So that's the first part of the answer. Like a, this is more or less at this scale, you know, around 1,000 kilometers from you. When we're talking about 10,000 kilometers from you and global, global markets, then I can give you examples like, uh, you know, that range from um, IKEA or to Nike, no? Uh, with Nike Falls, we have been doing small projects or small um, uh, workshops in which, their, in which their team, they get uh, some kind of a knowledge of what this is about. With the IKEA uh, uh, partners, especially through the, their innovation lab in Copenhagen called Space 10, we have been taking this a little and step further and actually try to make uh, IKEA to engage with this uh, circular economy approach into a, into a more dramatic way. And this experiment that we did, the make again, made again a, a project in Barcelona, is a sign of that. I think that that's really changed some of the uh, internal um, dynamics into IKEA. Starting from, uh, they started to put um, stores in the cities, but uh, because one of the things that we were saying, IKEA needs to move from being a, a warehouse outside the city where they get industrially produced uh, products and they get people to work in their assembly line, which I think is genius. It's actually the mastery of the assembly line is, is managing what IKEA has done. It's like a, we work for IKEA. So we're, it's like a, the, you know, we are part of, a, of, their, of their factory. It's a global factory. But if you flip that and you say, okay, IKEA, um, in, you know, in 10, 15 years, actually, you're, gonna, you're not going to own stores or warehouses or factories. Your stores, your warehouses, and you, you don't have warehouses, first of all and your stores and factories merge and they become part of a neighborhood. And they don't only provide production uh, services, but actually they connect to people in, in terms of providing skills and providing other, other opportunities. And you know, surprisingly, this resonated to IKEA. And this, I think, something that probably completely contradictory with the idea of you know, maximum profits, maximum benefits, uh, super optimization of production line and so on. But this is something that I think we're gonna see more and more often. 
Um, and then finally, I think that you know we have uh, some examples in the, within the Fabla network, and, and you will get exposed to them once you get to know better and better the network. Is that uh, there are uh, intranets of Fab Labs, if you want to call it like that, uh, because they are labs that are completely open, operating in, comp in large companies like Renault, Airbus, or Saint Gobain, uh, which are quite interesting because they are not open fab lab networks that connect to the rest of the network they are closed inside the, their own ecosystem but they are open inside the factory so they are changing culturally um, how they operate and, and and i think that that's quite interesting as well hmm. questions yeah you want the presentation i'll share it i have to say that I sometimes change it so probably wouldn't be the same all the time. Yeah, we can link it to the class that I... Okay. Hello? Sorry. Go ahead. I have a question? Yeah, someone yes. was open. I think yes, hi. hi. Uh, it's oh. Alec from uh, Ecofab in Montreal. Can you hear me? I cannot hear. No? Yeah. Hi, yes. I was just wondering, just wondering if there's been any uh, collaborations with Cradle to Cradle product innovators. Neil, maybe you want to answer the first part of that, since well, you know Bill. Yeah, um, I mean, you could almost lump them together. There's Ellen MacArthur, Circular Economy. There's Bill McDonough, Cradle. There's Cradle to Cradle. Um, uh, there's collaborations with all of them. Um, you know, uh, let's see. M maybe the shading is they all want to collaborate with the Fab City they maybe have less at this stage to contribute. It's more they need the Fab City technologies. That, that the real thing needed right now is the reduction to practice. Sort of we all share the vision, you know, sort of salvation is in the details of how to actually deliver on this. I, I want I want to add to that because another similar approach is, uh, could be compared with the uh, Ellen MacArthur Foundation and their approach to circular economy, where uh, it could be, criticize the fact that the circular economy that some of these uh, new movements are promoting is a circular economy that lock in uh, into closed ecosystems, materials, and products. And that's very risky because then, uh, you know, large companies like IKEA would end up owning forever things that so you will play, you will pay, it's, it will be like a Netflix service, but actually in, into a product. And that's dangerous. That's really, really dangerous because of course that goes on opaque uh, processes uh, and then with lack of opportunities for people. So yeah, one of the things emerging that I, I really encourage is the goal in the Fab City isn't like a big bang. It's a few percent a year accumulating over 40 years. And so if you look around your city, start to think about like just like you know, benches for public spaces. Um, every city has a battle over who what's the provider for urban wireless, but you know, we know mm -hmm. how to make antennas and radios. But like the Fab Labs, no one city knows how, has the skills to do all of this. And so I think one of the core parts of the project is just building this base of a few percent a year of reproducible technologies that can be sustainably produced and then reused locally. You know, out of all of these big things, the real thing needed is is just sort of you know, th those details, life in the trenches for how to start progressing against it. Um, and then also, I, I just underscore something from said. 
in all of the meetings I've been with cities about it, when we ask what are the fluxes in and what are the fluxes out to figure out the progress you're making, they just shrug. Cities, cities don't know how to do this. So lear learning how to measure it is an important thing um, for the cities. Um, also, just to underscore one more thing Tomas said, um, sometimes this is seen as either protectionism or a return to like a you know, city-state old model. <laughs> the crucial distinction from Pedo to Dito is the Dito part, that this only works if the data comes and goes. A city can't do it alone. You need to be part of the global network. Hi. Go ahead. Hello. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. My name is uh, Caleb from uh, Santiago. I work at the Fab Lab with uh, Andres and Tomas. Hey. Uh, yeah. My first of all, thanks for the presentation. I think it was uh, pretty pretty grateful, and uh, I was very impressed with all the work. Um, and second of all, I. I think I'm really interested in the master you, you talked about. Um, could you go a bit deeper into that subject as a, as a first instance? <laughs> okay. Um, um, second of all, <clears throat> that's like kind of like my first uh, question, sort of. Uh, and the second one is, um, we work here uh, with, a, with our own uh, brand, like product brand. Uh, maybe, maybe when you guys came uh, to Santiago, you heard about it. It's called Maquinario. Yes. Um, and we, we are trying to work with the circular economy and, and personally I'm an industrial designer and, and one of my tasks here is to, to actually find problems and not just make products um, in order to create solutions. Um, mm -hmm. And my, my comment and question goes to, we are trying every day to, to find a, a sustainable way or a circular way to produce this, these new products and to work with new designers in order to not just create uh, content and in order and and also trash, you know what I mean? Like after a cer mm -hmm. certain yeah, yeah. period of time, it's gonna become trash. So we have been working really hard in order to make this brand sustainable. Um, and and the way we we have uh, and, and some th some problems that we have in country are, for for example. Uh, an ethic park like we say we don't want to overproduce but in order to make the brand sustainable we need to sell so we're yeah. we're locked up in a in an economic uh economic uh problem you know we we need to to make the brand sustainable so that's the first thing and the second thing is we 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 can't stay just in santiago in order to to grow we we are trying to use this um this new economic system dito that neil mentioned and now we're trying to go uh, to other to other countries, uh, like for example, Mexico. Mexico mm -hmm. has a, a 150 million people, and that's a bigger market. Um, so that make that gives us a better option to to keep growing and to make the brand sustainable. So, just to summon up some of my uh, comments, is first we 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 have been struggling hard to. To keep our brand, you know, in a level where we, where we don't produce too, too much to to generate waste, uh, but then we also have this double side effect where we have to grow and go to other uh, cities um, yeah. in order to to be sustainable. What do you think? How do you think we can manage to keep a level and you know survive in this economic uh, system um, or try to change it in a way in order to be you know 
um, not yeah. so harmful. So I think that, you know, how Neil said, it's like, it's not a jump from zero to hero. And uh, I think it's different from this kind of idea of moonshots that uh, you see in this kind of, uh, you know, Google X approach. It's more like a dissolving uh, the wicked problems of our times and, uh, and also starting in a small scale and using the network effects that we have in the Fab Labs, uh, for instance, as, as the agents for that, that transformation. So um, I think that, um, you know, if you try, one of the things is, is, is to think about what is sustainability. If sustainability is uh, to have, um, you know, profits that go over the 70% would be because it's the minimum that they say in the business model, canvas, whatever. I think that probably is the wrong way to address sustainability. And then the, the other thing is like that, that's a problem that I think it doesn't have any, any solution. Then I think that you need to think, you have to take like a, a probably similar to software, the idea of the stack, no? Thinking that you, you cannot just put a platform in Mexico and then it's going to work. You need a stack. And probably your stack uh, is, you know, is, is, the, is the local network of makers, is the local uh, industrial production facilities that you have, is the global marketplace for products. So you need to think about the different levels that you need in order for your platform to actually scale and, and work at different, at different levels. And that's something that we are connected with Tomas and Andres in a project that we have, which is a distributed design market which is very aligned to the maquinaria. Also, we did, uh, aquí, I'm putting here uh, a uh, first prototype of a global market within Fab Labs, which is the market. Uh, and then, how, you know, how you, you know, your, your lower stack level is having the Fab Labs, the people, the designers, the ecosystem, then you have the designs, but then you have, you need to have something like the make works approach and connect to the local infrastructure for local production. And then finally, just finally, Neil, sorry, is like a, you need a different type of incentive models. Uh, and, and I think that's where we want to test, uh, I'm gonna say the word again, the blockchain technologies, and to see how we can redistribute uh, um, revenues for every single one of the people that participates in the design, production, and distribution of these products around the world. Just, yeah, the two things I would add, Caleb, I think it would help if we could a global network of 1,300 places so you could go global um, by partnering with them, which is a convoluted way to say the Fab Lab network, meaning we keep finding these local efforts fail, but succeed with the power of the network. And so don't just try to do it as your effort, figure out how to leverage the network. But in leveraging the network, underscoring what something Tomas said, in a way, we're coming to the end of Fab Labs as we know them today at this scale. On one side, I'm trying to encourage the creation of regional million dollar super labs that can do things you can't do in a local lab. But on the other side, a tree of $10,000 labs to expand the reach. Totally and right, I think. Almost everybody listening is, has some version of your question. The real opportunity here is to link these and build a bigger platform, not a set of no, you're totally right. The the thing we're trying to figure out now is how to connect, uh, like Tomas said, uh, each market to be in each fab lab. But we we can just uh, we can't just send information, like he said. We need to to make them uh, make them design as well, make them create solutions as well, and then start to sending them back and forward. Um, but um, one one 
uh, part of the answer that Tomas gave me uh, with the blockchain, I haven't thought about, and I think is you know a new way to create a, an economic effort that doesn't go through you know this linear economic system that we are all screwed up with. Um, so yes, I, I I think the answer was really good in that way, and and that's what we're trying to figure out. And and thank you for uh, you know giving me this new input because um, um, it's part of the the new. Uh, more business model that we're trying to to implement. Um, this is just uh, it's just beginning. So in a way, everything that can connect there it, it, it helps. And since I'm here, I, I encourage. Uh, I'm gonna put the link of the website. And and if someone is in a fab lab around the world that that can that wants to like start sharing uh, information or trying to figure out this out, trying to figure this out. Sorry, um, I'm more than uh, happy to to start a conversation. Yeah, Great. I understand the the nonprofit Fab Foundation side was pretty pretty easy to get going. The Fab Academy took a little longer, but the educational has been working. The notion of these new kind of business platforms from the very beginning we were sort of crashing into until we really came to understand this isn't existing business models. Mm -hmm. This is inventing new notions of how an economy works. And that's really, really hard. And that needs as much innovation as everything else we're doing. If we're not turning the crank on what people know how to do, this is real innovation in inventing kind of you know, new principles for an economy. And that's exciting and that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> Slower than we are used to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Okay. Um, up to 10 o'clock. Tomas, final closing thoughts? No, I just have to say that uh, I look forward to see most of you in France. Uh, I think we're going to have more updates and and, and, and I think that uh, you will see like a big jump from what I say today and what is going to happen in six months, less than six months. And uh, good luck with your Fab Academy projects. I shared the, 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 this idea of a distributed accelerator program to think about if you want to continue after the Fab Academy on developing your projects. Yeah, you didn't mention a key bullet, which is um, Smart Citizen came from your Fab Academy project. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that was his final project, and it became this whole platform. Yes, yeah. Hopefully, and now a business. Yes. So with that inspiring thought, that was great. Thank you, Tomas. Thanks. Thanks for the invitation. See you soon.